We want to welcome you to Plum Creek Chapel this morning. Great to see everybody. Really looking forward to this day. It's an exciting day here at PCC. We're going to have our uh, baptism service this afternoon, and so I'll be saying more about that in the worship service, but I hope everybody's already making plans to come back and meet us at uh, Grace Chapel. We're going to be using their facilities at 1 o'clock today for a really special service. And uh, uh, for uh, the first hour here, we're going, going to continue to look at some of the uh, types of rewards that we can earn uh, as part of our faithfulness to the Lord uh, here and now. And you know what's interesting, I was thinking about this on the drive-in this morning, the, the longer or the closer we get to the return of Christ and the more apostasy we see, the more evil, the more uh, deception. Remember Paul said uh, things are getting worse and worse, 2 Timothy 3.13. Uh, I think the, the harder it is to you know, remain faithful. And I think it's uh, one of the things that we see happening is a lot of believers abandoning the faith, being led astray, being uh, discouraged. Uh, tragedies and crises and other things happen and it causes them to, to causes people to question God and question uh, reality. And so that's why it's so important that we remain rooted in the Word. I've said many times through the years that any time in my life, and remember I was saved as a young child, six years old, uh, so for the most part grew up in the Lord. Very few uh, seasons of life where I can look back and say that I was you know, away from the Lord for a prolonged period, but certainly there have been some. But I can tell you that every time as I look back and survey my life when I feel like I've been just in the flesh or away from the Lord or just not really walking faithfully with the Lord, to a time, it's always been when I've been out of the Word. It's just been very, it's just very difficult to depart from the Lord when you're immersing yourself in the Word of God every day. And so now more than ever, uh, we need to read and study the Word of God, and uh, so that's what we are all about here at uh, Plum Creek. So uh, I want to mention just a couple of quick things, and then let's dive into some of these <clears throat> rewards. Don't forget, both books are now available out on the table, and if you're joining us uh, online, you can go to spiritoftheantichrist.org and check those books out, Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 1 and Volume 2 want to remind you that this Wednesday, because of Thanksgiving, we will not have our normal midweek Bible study, and that means no live stream for those of you uh, online, uh, but uh, we will resume that again uh, next week. So this, and I'll send out a reminder, and it's on the church uh, calendar and website, but uh, no Bible study this Wednesday night. <clears throat> and then always want to encourage you to check out uh, our podcast. We do several each week, uh, and we've really been doing more and more of that. Obviously, everything we do here uh, within Plum Creek Chapel is posted as a podcast, but we do several outside of the church, and so uh, I encourage you to check out uh, our podcast. We've been, in the past, we've tried to highlight any new ones each week, but now we're getting to where there's so many, we're just saying, hey, go to Not By Works Ministries on your favorite podcast provider and, and just check out what's there. Another thing you can do if you haven't already is subscribe to our channel on any podcast provider. That way you get notified anytime we post something, you get an immediate uh, <clears throat> notification. So with that, let's, uh, let's talk about uh, the, the doctrine of eternal rewards. And uh, we're getting close to kind of wrapping this up. Uh, it's just been a great discussion, and I'm not on any particular timetable, so I'm not trying to rush you. 
uh, but just looking at what we have left to cover, I'm pretty sure we should be able to cover this by the end of the year, <clears throat> and then we'll kind of move on uh, to some more topics related to this uh, after the first of the year. But we're in the section where we're talking about what kinds of rewards will be distributed at the judgment seat of Christ, and we've looked at crowns, we've looked at reigning with Christ and special positions of service or authority, which kind of go together. Um, there in Scripture, there sometimes when it explicitly talks about reigning with Christ or co-reigning with Christ, there are other times when it just talks about uh, generic positions of authority. But I want to look at a few other passages that, uh, again, as you come across them in Scripture, you, you have to ask yourself, is this talking about our eternal salvation, or is this talking about something that is a reward earned based on our good works? Obviously, we know salvation, eternal salvation, is not based upon works. It's by grace through faith. So any passage that seems to predicate receiving something on doing something, your behavior, your performance, you know that's got to be talking about rewards because Scripture cannot uh, contradict itself. So let's just work through some of these. We'll start with uh, uh, praise from God. That's D, uh, point D on the screen. But if you'll flip over to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and this, of course, is in the context of Paul's teaching about uh, the judgment seat of Christ. And uh, we've uh, looked at in the past how the Lord talks about our rewards will be based on the counsels of the heart. Um, and so here we find this in verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. And in the context here he's talking about the rapture. He's speaking to the church. And he says, and by this time, by the way, he had already taught about the rapture. Remember 1 Corinthians was... 56, 57, I think. We're, we're actually talking about that in our uh, yeah, spring of 56. We're talking about that in our study through Acts. Um, but he'd already written 1 Thessalonians five, six years earlier, and that's when, under the inspiration of the Spirit, he unveils the doctrine of the rapture. So he's talking here about the Lord's return to rescue the church and meet the Lord in the air. And he says, Judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. That's the passage we looked at before. But notice that last phrase then. Then each one's praise will come from God. Then connects that, you know, that word then connects this praise to what he's just talked about after God evaluates the counsels of our heart. And won't it be quite a moment you know, I mean, there's so many things, of course, about the rapture that are going to be amazing uh, to meet the Lord in the air, see our Savior face to face, to meet loved ones who know the Lord who have gone before us and be reunited with them in this grand reunion in the sky, uh, to leave this sin-stricken earth and all that's falling apart uh, on it. Uh, so many blessings, but one of them uh, will be for those who have been faithful to hear the Lord God himself say, well done, good and faithful servant. So receiving praise from God is, is something that is very uh, unique. It's, it's something that takes on a special uh, emphasis when it comes to rewards. And we're going to see this again as we look at a couple more passages uh, this morning that 
you know, if you don't understand the doctrine of grace and the fact that grace by definition is free, you're going to come to some false conclusions, and many have when we look at some of these uh, verses. But um, the whole concept of <clears throat> pleasing the Father and wanting to receive a commendation from Him is a motivating factor for why we do what we do. Um, you know, when you recognize all that God has given to us, and we're going to talk about that in our message this morning, and the 10 o'clock hour, I'm taking a one-week hiatus from Acts to talk about something the Lord put on my heart from Colossians, first time I've ever preached this text, but it relates to Thanksgiving, and I just and we're kind of in that same historical time period that we're in in Acts, and it just really felt led to talk about it. So uh, we're going to talk about when you when you understand who you are and recognize that this earth is just passing away and we're just passing through, and God is really our focus, the heavenlies. <clears throat> it sort of puts things in a different perspective, and so. To hear those words, well done, I mean, that's a great, that's a great thing. I mean, even on earth, we, we understand how great it can be to hear somebody that is meaningful to you, whether that's, you know, your father, and <clears throat> I realize not everybody has, you know, earthly fathers that were, you know, modeling the biblical example of being a fatherhood or mothers. Uh, I grew up having a, mo a mom and dad that were godly believers, and and, you know, i got to be honest, uh, when my dad texts me every now and then and said, hey, I listened to that message, man, that was really great. That makes me feel proud. You know, that's I'm 54 years old and I still crave that type of encouragement from uh, people that I care about. So all the more, all the more, you know, hearing our Creator say, well done. So that's praise from God. Now, we've talked about this in, this, whoops, this next one in passing a couple of times, but E that you see on the screen here, let's go to the Lord's teaching in Matthew about a prophet's reward. Because it's not just prophets, it was prophets in Jesus' day. Uh, today, there are no prophets, at least not in the biblical sense, uh, because we have everything God has wanted to reveal to us in His Word. So nobody can stand up today and claim to be speaking new revelation from God, and we have to sort of stop and, and, and listen and add a 67th book to the Bible. But in Jesus' day and in the early church days, uh, during the apostolic age, there were people speaking direct revelation uh, from God. And so, But it's not, as you'll see in a moment, it's not just a prophet's reward. Listen to what uh, Jesus says. So this is in the context of Him sending out uh, the disciples... Uh, and he has a lot to say. We're going to come back to this passage again in a moment. But uh, a key verse would be verse 16 in Matthew 10. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But look at what he says in verse 41. Let's start out in verse 40. He who receives you receives me. In other words, as you go to ta from town to town, proclaiming the gospel, telling people about me, uh, if they receive you, they're receiving me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. And uh, Jesus frequently connects his ministry with God the Father because the Jews understood and revered God the Father, um, but they had a more hazy understanding of the eternal Son of God. And certainly the unbelieving Jews were having trouble accepting that he had come. The kingdom was at hand. He was walking among them. This was God 
in the flesh. Remember John 10, Jesus says to the crowd, I and my Father are one. So he, he, he frequently emphasizes that. And so here what he's saying is, look, you're out as my envoys. I'm sending you out. Someone receives you. They're receiving me. If they're receiving me, they're receiving my Father. But notice what he says. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. So here it goes beyond just prophets. But what he's saying basically is, if you show kindness and hospitality to one of God's servants, you're going to be blessed. You're going to receive a reward. Not just earthly blessings, but a reward. Now this reminds me of what we read about in the Olivet Discourse. So now let's fast forward to the end of Christ's ministry. We'll just stay in Matthew's account. If you go to Matthew 25 and um, go to verse 31, this is a passage that also has caused people who don't correctly handle the Word of God and understand it in its literal, grammatical, historical approach are all over the map and what they do with this famous sheep and goats judgment. Uh, I'm sure in our group uh, you're familiar with it, but let's just read a little bit of it for context. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all His holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. This is the capstone to His entire Olivet Discourse. Olivet meaning the Mount of Olives, from where he gave this sermon. Discourse, just another word for sermon. So we call this the Olivet Discourse, or the Sermon from the Mount of Olives. And the whole sermon, which Matthew gives the longest account of it, is in chapters 24 and 25, is about the return of Christ to establish the kingdom. It begins with them asking, hey, when are you going to come back? And when, you know, when will these things be, the establishment of your kingdom? And then he answers that question, and and at the end here, he's talking about coming to sit on the throne. So this is not about the rapture. Christ does not come and sit on the throne at the rapture. We're going to talk about this in our sermon in the 10 o'clock hour as well. At the rapture, he comes in the air. And we meet him there. When he comes back at the end of the tribulation, that's when he's coming to fulfill all of the Old Testament promises of the coming kingdom. And he tells us in his own words here, Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And then you remember what he uh, goes on to say. He's going to divide everybody, the nations before him, just like a shepherd would divide the sheep from the goats. Um, that's a, a figure of speech here, a simile, a comparison using like or as. He will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So we're not literally talking about literal sheep and literal goats here. We're talking about two people, two kinds of people. The sheep represent those who know the Lord. By faith, they have believed the gospel that was being preached for the previous seven years by 144,000 missionaries that were Jewish, uh, Revelation chapter 7 tells us. And not only them, but the, at, toward the end of the seven years, when time is really short, just before the Battle of Armageddon, uh, Revelation tells us that an angel will go forth and preach the gospel to reach everyone that hasn't been reached yet. Because remember... Earlier in this same sermon, in chapter 24, Jesus had promised, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to the nations, and then the end will come. So it hasn't been preached in all the world yet, even though that's our task, that's our mission, is to go in all the world. There are still unreached people groups today. 
But by the time Christ comes back at the end of the tribulation, there won't be. Everyone will have heard of him. And so uh, people that responded to the gospel are the sheep, you know, if they believe the gospel. Those who rejected the, the offer of eternal life, the free gift of eternal life, are the goats. But then he, he uses this uh, interesting terminology to uh, sort of characterize the sheep and those who responded favorably to the gospel. Uh, remember, this is starting out as, an, as a metaphor, an extended metaphor anyway, and we, we, we compare Scripture with Scripture, and we know that undeniably the only way any human being from Adam forward can be saved eternally is by faith alone, period. So keep that in mind, because he goes on to say, uh, to those on his right, uh, he's going to say, Come ye, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then they're going to say, well, when did we do this for you, Lord? You know, because remember, by this time, the Lord's been in heaven at the right hand of the throne of God for 2,000 years, right? So they're saying, hmm, when did we do that? And he says, no, no, you don't understand. As much as you did it to the least of these my brethren, a reference there to his 144,000 delegates that are going out and telling the world about him, you've done it unto me. So obviously, you know, some people have ripped this passage completely out of context, and they say the only way you can go to heaven is if you're kind to people and you give water to the thirsty and clothes to the naked and food to the hungry. I mean, that's just completely obliterating the doctrine of grace throughout Scripture from cover to cover. I ran into a lady not too long ago at a conference. I think I mentioned this, but she came up to me at the resource table afterwards, and she was you know, basically making this argument that you know, she thinks entrance into heaven is based on your kindness. And you know, she said, you, you know, those who are kind, God's not going to turn away. And that's why I try to be kind to people and try to help people. And she cited this verse, not... She didn't even quote it correctly, but this is what she was thinking of when she talked about you got to give a cup of cold water to people and then you'll go to heaven. Well, they're completely missing the point. No one gets to heaven apart from personal faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Today we're going to be baptizing 11 people that have trusted in Christ and are born again and going to heaven. And the baptism is just an outward expression of something that's already happened inwardly. It's a way to publicly profess, hey, I know the Lord, I've trusted in Him. And uh, so that's what he's talking about here. But I find it interesting that as Jesus goes house to house and those people favorably respond, I mean, as these uh, witnesses go house to house and these people favorably respond to their message about Jesus, they are going to be saved. But then if they also then help these 144,000 in their mission, hide them out, take them on to the next town, maybe protect them, now, they're under divine protection. We already know that from Revelation 7. Uh, but still, in a pr- pragmatic sense, they're going to need help. I think they're going to also receive a reward. And uh, this is that promise, even though in the context of going back to Matthew 10, it's talking about the first century during the time of Christ's earthly ministry, that three-and-a-half-year window when his disciples are going out. We have 2,000 years now of history where that same opportunity has existed for people to receive what we're calling here a prophet's reward. Because as believers, especially in like closed countries or other parts of uh, the world where uh, 
being known as a Christian can cost you your life. Uh, if someone hides them out in a closet or you know protects them or gives them a care package as they flee under cover of night, I believe those people will receive this reward. Any questions about that? Yeah. So you're saying that this is happening during the tribulation? The Matthew 25 sheep and goats? Right. Yes. So the sheep and the goats judgment takes place at the very end of the uh, uh, tribulation. Let me put that on the screen. So when Christ comes back, you see it on the far right there just before the kingdom, which is in yellow. Uh, but if you see where it says Armageddon and the second coming, that's when the sheep and the goats judgment uh, takes place. That's when everybody who's still alive at the end of that seven-year day of the Lord's wrath that has been being poured out on the earth, those who survive, He's going to divide them into two camps. Either you're a believer, a, sh a sheep, or you're not a believer, a goat. To the sheep, He says, come ye, inherit the kingdom. They're the ones that enter the kingdom in their physical bodies and populate the earth. To the goats, they go to the everlasting fire. We didn't read it, but He goes on to say, depart from me into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels so as we've said uh, before the at the start of the kingdom only believers are present on earth over time as they have children there will be a group of unbelievers who need to trust Christ also but this is one of the key judgments of the end times you see it listed uh, right there in the middle the sheep and the goats judgment so we're talking for our purposes about the judgment seat of Christ, which is a reward, a time of reward, not heaven or hell. Then at, when Christ comes back, there in Revelation 19, the Antichrist and the false prophet will be judged, and they're going to the lake of fire. And then also every human being on earth will be judged into one of two categories. And again, the, the way you become a sheep, to use Jesus' metaphor, it's not by giving someone food. You become a sheep by trusting in Christ and believing the gospel that has been being preached for the previous seven years. Make sense? Anybody else? <clears throat> okay, well, let's look at the next one then. Um, so that's a prophet's reward. Now look at this one in John 14. So this is in Jesus' upper room discourse. So a moment ago we looked at the Olivet Discourse, which was uh, that message where Jesus gave the sheep and the goats uh, instruction. But now we're the next day, the day after he gave that sermon, he assembled the disciples in the upper room for Passover. <clears throat> and it's a, a really intimate section, all kinds of important theological truth that we get from John chapters 13 to 17. And so this is right there in... Uh, the midst of that, and this is uh, after Judas had already left in chapter 13. Remember, Judas was there with them, and then Jesus identifies him, and he leaves to go sell Jesus out in the garden. So now it's just Jesus and the eleven, and look at what he says in chapter four, John chapter 14, verse 21. <clears throat> he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. You ever stop to think about when you're not obeying the Lord, when you're walking in the flesh rather than in the Spirit, you can't claim to be loving God in that moment. It's never loving to God when we're sinning. John, the same John that wrote this gospel, later on in his epistle, some 60 years, or let's see, 
60 years after this occasion in the upper room, which was 33 A.D., so mid-90s A.D., John, under the inspiration of the Spirit, writes his epistle, and in 1 John he talks about that. You can't, you can't be living in sin or behaving sinfully in a, in a moment and claim to be loving God. It's not loving to sin. And so Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you love me. And listen, he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So we know God is immutable. We're talking about this on Wednesday nights. God cannot change. So this isn't an issue of, you know, God loves you, he doesn't love you. He loves you, he doesn't love you. It's a, a matter of degree. And there's a special intimate level of love when we are loving the Father. Um, you know, he, he is in us, we are in him. Jesus talks about that. So, you know, an intimate level of love from God. Again, just another way of saying some of the things we've said before, like 1 Corinthians 4, this special commendation from the Lord. But here's a special intimate love uh, from the Lord. And then we see um, the one going back to Matthew 10, that same context where Jesus is sending out the 12. And this is another one that people ignore the context and they really get thrown off by this. But one of the rewards that we can earn is being confessed or commended by Christ before God in heaven. So again, don't forget the context. If you go all the way back to chapter 1, I mean to verse 1 of chapter 10, you know, when he had called his 12 disciples to them, he gave them power over unclean spirits, and he, you know, he sends them out. Uh, Matthew names them all for us. Verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, and he's giving them this instruction. And as I said, verse 16 is kind of the pinnacle. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as servants and harmless as doves. And then he comes all the way down to verse 32. Uh, and he says, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. He who, does not con who, he who denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. How many of you have heard this passage cited as some kind of an indication that if you deny the Lord, you're going to hell? I have, and a few of you have. So does this passage say anything about heaven or hell or eternity? Is Jesus threatening his disciples here with hell if, they, if their faith wavers in the midst of great persecution? Because remember, he's, he's, he says they're going to be like sheep amongst wolves. He says, verse 17, Beware, they're going to deliver you up to councils and scourge you. You know what a scourging was? Jesus endured a scourging. Okay. He hadn't at this point, but he was going to. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. When they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. And he who endures to the end will be saved, not eternally, but temporally. Remember, saved just means delivered or rescued. That's what the term means. It's the Greek word sozo. It's used 108 times in the New Testament. And context, as always, has to determine meaning. Uh, scripture explicitly states that our endurance in the faith is not a condition for getting into heaven because if it were how could any of us in this room know for certain we're going to heaven if you have to keep walking with christ until the day you die 
to guarantee you're going to heaven, nobody could have assurance because we can't tell the future. We don't know what's going to happen and how many uh, a godly Christian has been shipwrecked in the faith and abandoned the Lord because of some crisis or getting away from the Lord. So he's not talking about eternal salvation and he doesn't mention eternal salvation. He just says, if you endure, you're going to be delivered. So don't worry. You know, don't worry about all the persecution. He says in verse 23, when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. Uh, so he's talking about uh, persecution. You go down to verse 27. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. So he's saying just be faithful. Proclaim the gospel. Do the work. And by the way, then he goes on to say, verse 32, If you confess me before others, before men, you know, if, they, if they bring you before you know, the firing squad and they say, Deny the Lord and you say, Jesus is my Lord, you're going to receive special commendation before God in heaven. I will, I will bring you into God's office, and I'm going to say, Father, here's one who gave the ultimate sacrifice for you. It's that same kind of warm, meaningful moment that we talked about a moment ago about well done. right? Now, there, there will be people who don't endure. There will be those who do not confess the Lord, that to their shame... And hopefully not any of us, but to their shame, when persecution rises, they may say, kind of like Peter did in that weak moment in his life, no, I've never known him. I don't know the Lord. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not a Christian. And they might even curse the Lord like Peter did. In that moment, Peter didn't, he, he wasn't rewarded for that. But he certainly was rewarded at the end, when at the end he endured and was, was uh, martyred, right? So, that's what this is talking about here. It's a, it's a strong statement about the special reward for those who pay the ultimate price. Verse 33, if you deny me, I'm not going to, I'm going to deny you before my father. I'm not going to bring you in and say, here's one of the special ones, right? You, you'll be in heaven. You'll be enjoying the presence of the Lord for all of eternity uh, because our entrance into heaven, thankfully, is not contingent upon whether we confess the Lord or not. But those who do, are worthy of a special reward, and it's a uh, you know something that is talked about frequently. We see this uh, in I think we looked at this previously, but in Second Timothy chapter two, uh, verse twelve, Second Timothy chapter two, verse twelve, the very last letter that Paul wrote, he says, "If we endure, we shall reign with him." Okay, that's a reward. If we deny Him, He will deny us. What? The right to reign with Him. The opportunity to reign with Him. But even if we are faithless, literally abandon the faith, we have no faith. It's ah, meaning no, pistis, meaning faith. Even if we are faithless, God remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself. So our entrance into heaven is not based upon whether we hang on to the Lord or endure to the end and keep the faith and all those things thankfully, but we are strongly exhorted to do so, and those who do so, even in the face of intense persecution, can look forward to a very special confession by Christ before God in heaven. Any questions about that, or thoughts, or common comments? Yeah? So, 
correct. Yeah. So that's a good question, and we're gonna we're gonna give a, a little more details when we finish the types of reward about kind of when this happens and so forth. But the question is, uh, the question that was asked is, is this you know at the beam of judgment? Is it corporate? Will everybody see? Are we kind of on display? We don't really know. My sense is because this is in heaven uh, after the rapture, but before the second coming, that it's not subject to the same uh, rules of time, space, and matter that we are today. So my sense is that it's, it's, it's momentary, that it's personal, that it's in that moment, uh, you know, you're rewarded for what you've done uh, in acts of faithfulness, uh, and the, those things that were not rewardable, Paul says, are like wood, hay, and stubble, they'll burn up and become nothing. Uh, so it's not like we're going to be punished. A believer never faces punishment. Jesus said, if you know the Lord, you'll never come into judgment. Paul said, there's now, therefore now no condemnation. So we're not being punished. We're simply being evaluated. And to the degree that we were faithful, we will receive a reward. But I don't picture this as some kind of a massive gathering in some huge uh, arena and you know, like a graduation ceremony, we're all standing in line and we come before and, and, and we, everybody gets to see our deep, dark secrets. I don't think that's it at all. So I think it's personal between you, between you and the Lord. Right? Yeah. That's good. Yeah. But I mean, how cool would that be? I mean, I've got some people I'd love to kind of know what's going on up here. But anyway, I keep, I keep a list, but uh, that's, that's another story. Um, anybody else? Any questions or comments. Yeah. In John's gospel, John, I think it's chapter six. Yeah. What's that? Right. Yeah. So uh, there were disciples in Jesus. The question is, what about those who Jesus says they were, they went out from us, but they were not of us. There were people in Jesus' day and today that are false disciples that claim to know the Lord but don't. But so this is not related to the No, no, because uh, in that case he ma makes it clear that they're not believers. This case he's actually talking to believers. We know, I mean, it would be strange indeed for Jesus to be questioning the eternal salvation of Peter, James, John, you know, those, those people. So... He's talking in context here about as you're persecuted, the way you respond has eternal reward implications. But yeah, throughout uh, Jesus' day and throughout church history, there are people who've never trusted in Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation. They might be sitting in church on any given Sunday, and uh, they're not saved. But it, it's not because of their behavior, because they deny the Lord, that they're not saved. If they're not saved, it's because they've never trusted in Christ and Him alone. So remember, uh, Calvinists teach that uh, you've got to prove that you're saved by enduring and keeping the faith and all that. And if you ever turn away, then that proves you were never saved. But the Bible doesn't teach that at all. There's no, you, know, you get eternal life the moment you believe the gospel. You don't have to wait and see, did it really take, right? Did I, did I hang on? Because you know, then we could never know if we're saved or not, and then that makes Jesus a liar, because Jesus says, present tense, I give you eternal life, and you shall never perish, John 10, 28. So we don't get eternal life when we die, we get eternal life when we believe the gospel. 
So if you know the Lord, every one of you right now is living as a new creation, born again, born from above, as a child of God whose citizenship is in heaven, and nothing can ever change that. Because we live in a fallen world, sold under sin, where bad things happen to good people, there are terrible tragedies, Satan is the prince of the power of this air. Sadly, many believers who are not walking in faith and walking in the Spirit, who are not living out their identity in Christ, will in fact abandon the faith. And, and that's a tragic thing, but it doesn't have any in, in implication for eternal life. Um, but I get it. A lot of people teach, teach differently. And I hope that if you've been impacted by that teaching, that you're able to throw that off and really embrace grace and understand what grace is. Grace is a free gift with no strings attached. The minute we start to attach strings to our salvation, why did Jesus have to die? He didn't die to give you the gift of eternal life with a little asterisk that says, well, provided you continue to walk with me until you die. And if you don't walk with me until you die, well, then I didn't really mean it when I said you have eternal life. No, he means you have eternal life. You can take him at his word. So there are serious consequences beyond just a loss of reward for those who abandon the faith, including swift physical death. This same John talks about in 1 John 5 how there's sin that leads to death. I mean, sin's an equal opportunity killer, and a believer who chooses to wallow around in sin is playing with fire. But it doesn't impact his or her eternal life because that's based solely upon the shed blood of Christ when he paid your penalty rose from the dead and gave you the free gift of eternal life provided you've received it you have to receive it by faith if you've never trusted in christ well then that's another story but if you believe the gospel you're saved anybody else yes so the wedding feast also takes place in heaven let's put this chart back up so the marriage uh, of the lamb is something that is just for the church and it also takes place in heaven prior to the second coming because at the second coming, according to Revelation 19, that's when we have the marriage supper. So that's you know, on earth, at the, the banqueting supper, right? So we have to have already been married to be able to experience that. So, so the I, feast is in the morning. The what? The feast. Well, yeah, the, all the Jewish uh, feasts and festivals and all that are restored re in the kingdom, yes. But that's not having anything to do with the church. The church is not Israel, so we're not. Right. Well, okay. So the wedding feast in the church. Yes. Yeah. In, in heaven. No, it's on earth. So it's it's all comes together. It's the kickoff party for the kingdom, because Jesus said people will come from the east and the west, Matthew eight, and sit down with me in the kingdom. So that's the so the church gets to participate in that wedding feast because we're the bride of Christ. So the, the two things that, while all hell is breaking loose on earth, what you see there in the, the, the tribulation period, that seven years right in the middle of the screen, in heaven, the church, the bride of Christ, is, is experiencing the beam of judgment and the marriage. And then we come back with Christ, uh, clothed in white, and the kingdom has come. Here, here it is, you know, so... And, that, and the first thing that happens is this banqueting supper or the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we get that from Revelation chapter 19. But yeah. So yeah, it's, 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 it can be confusing because 
some of as I think we talked about this last week. Some of the same metaphors uh, are used for both Israel and the church. In other words, Israel is also called the bride, right? But that doesn't mean Israel and the church are the same. You know, we talked about how in the kingdom, uh, this was several months ago, the very name of Jerusalem will be changed to Beulah. Beulah is the Hebrew word that means married, because you know, as Hosea the prophet talked about, Israel has become estranged from Yahweh, but they will be reunited in the kingdom and married. But that doesn't mean they're the same thing as the church. So we have a special intimacy that the book of Ephesians talks about as being part of the bride of Christ. Yeah. No, there's only one supper. I'm just saying that what gets confusing is both Israel and the church are referred to as the bride. But that's a metaphor. It's just because marriage is, goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. It's an institution of you know mankind. So in heaven is when we experience the marriage, the marriage of the Lamb. So we're now united with Christ. We're the bride of Christ now, but you know in heaven we will be married. Then we come back with Him, riding on white horses. Uh, and, and then we the first thing that happens in the kingdom, which the kingdom is the culmination of, 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 every, of all of Bible prophecy. It's the final piece of the puzzle when Christ comes back and makes all things new. So Jew, Gentile, and the church will all be participating in the kingdom together and will all be together at the banqueting supper, the marriage supper. But the marriage actually takes place in heaven. Yeah. bodies are we going to have uh, you know a, a child who dies young versus an old person who dies old uh, how am I so am I being too human here or? well you are human so I don't know if you can be too human that's better than being an alien so let me look at your eyes are you sure no, I know exactly what you, <laughs> you're a Norwegian. I know exactly what you mean, Paul. Uh, the question that he asked was, in eternity, I guess, are, are you know what kind of bodies will we have? You know, a child dies, a, a young man dies, an old woman dies. You know, what what? Well, remember the body, the flesh and blood, the bones, the ligaments, the veins, all of that is part of this old tent that's earthly in nature. It's going to go the way of all flesh. Remember Paul said, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. So we are who we are. You'll always be Paul. I'll always be JB. We'll know each other. We'll have our identity as human beings made in the image of God. That's from the moment of conception. That's who we are. That never changes. What form that takes on in heaven all we know is we're going to have a glorified body paul describes it as mortal putting on immortality corruptible putting on incorruption we get a glimpse of christ while he was on this earth who also was resurrected and received his glorified body uh, and he apparently didn't look too dissimilar to what he did while he was on earth because everybody recognized him they didn't go Oh, what's that bright light hovering over there? I mean, they, they knew he was Jesus. So it appears that there's some similarity 
to our physical bodies, but it's without blemish. You know, if you lost a finger or lost a leg, that'll be perfect. Um, you'll uh, you'll not have you know blemishes, so to speak. Uh, but it won't be physical in nature. It won't be flesh and blood. But we'll know. You know, I'll I'll go. There's Paul. Right? <laughs> Well, he is, Paul is, is stepping forward today to experience believer's baptism and proudly proclaim the name of the Lord. So I'm going to assume that you've trusted in Christ. So. Um, but yeah, I'll say, see that guy over there with the nine iron? That's Paul. I remember him. Yeah. So uh, good. Anybody else? Yeah. So the question is, in the passages where the Bible speaks of you will inherit the kingdom or you won't, is that talking about eternal salvation or rewards? So the key passages there are 1 Corinthians 6, Ephesians 5, and Galatians 5. And the answer to the question is it depends on the context. Now some people mistakenly, who, who hold our view of dispensational understanding of Scripture and the distinction between salvation and rewards, uh, some people have mistakenly come to the conclusion that the term inherit is always a technical term for rewards. But that's not the case. Uh, sometimes you uh, can speak in general about you know, receiving the inheritance, and then sometimes you can speak in detail about what are you, what, what's part of that inheritance. So you know, in, in, in earthly language, if you receive an inheritance because a loved one died, you know, that's a general statement for the fact that They've died, it's now yours. But then you might say, well, hey, what'd you get? Oh, well, I had you know this part of the estate and this car and this whatever. So depends on the context. And sometimes, as in those passages that I just mentioned, and we, if you remind me, we can come back to that next time and, and go through them because they are confusing. But uh, in those contexts, it's talking about eternal salvation. But in this sense, Paul is always, well, let's, well, we're already way over time. I'd love to go to Ephesians 5 and show you, but in every case, he's contrasting the righteous positionally with the unrighteous positionally. Those who by faith have trusted Christ and are declared righteous with those who haven't. And so when he gives these laundry lists of things, you know, all these sins, and he says they won't inherit the kingdom, it, he never says because they do those things, they're not going to inherit it. It's these are the things that characterize the unrighteous. Especially you see that in 1 Corinthians 6. So go back and read it again. He's not, it's not a cause and effect. Nowhere does the Bible say, if you commit this sin, you're going to hell. The only sin that casts that cast us into hell is unbelief. Jesus said in John 8, if you do not believe I am He, you will die in your sins. Faith gets you to heaven. And that, but in these passages like Galatians 5, where He says, you know, this is kind of the, the behavior that characterizes those who don't know the Lord, and why would you want to act like those who don't know the Lord? So he's challenging believers to live like the new man, not the old man, because the old man is characterized by this. He's not an old man because of those things. He's an old man because he's never trusted in Christ. So good question. Well, uh, thanks for indulging me. Let's take a 10-minute break, uh, and we'll come back together here at 10 o'clock for our morning worship service, and the live stream will kick off about 1025 to 1030 sometime in that time frame.